Welcome once again, and let's dive right into Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything, which has nothing to do with the theme of the podcast over the last couple of months. I look back, and we started the uh, podcast season six with two episodes that were were fine, and then season uh, episode three was Big Jess, and he was the one who kind of like initiated this whole thing about drinking, and it has become a podcast about normalizing not drinking. Drinking is already normalized, but normalizing the discussion about drinking and how we look at somebody and they go, oh, he's a great person. He's a community leader and he's a lawyer and she's an architect and she owns a bank and they must be great. Well, they are great people, but sometimes they keep their secret. And that's one thing we're really going to talk about on this podcast is, is, is how we keep our secrets and and how people don't know. And people go, oh, yeah, you know, Jill, she does like to drink. But a lot of the time you don't know that Jill, as soon as her husband goes to bed, she gets out another bottle of wine and drinks until she can't walk upstairs. And, uh, and I think that's bad. We know it's bad, but we don't talk about it. And Jill doesn't tell her friends or neighbors. Her friends just think that she's a lot of fun. So I think that's part of it. And I also, I don't want to spend a lot of time with me analyzing the world of struggling with drinking because I don't know what I'm talking about. So we get to people who share their stories. And when you hear these stories shared, sometimes they're from an expert. Sometimes they're somebody who's been in recovery. Sometimes they're from people who are still struggling with it. But I think a lot of people hear themselves in these stories. I get a dozen or more messages, DMs, emails a week from people who say, wow, that last episode really hit home with me. And I hope some of these do hit home with you. And I'm not here to say you should quit drinking, but if you're here listening to this podcast, you must have some concerns about yourself or other people. So this time, we're going to talk to a woman named Andrea who reached out through email. And if you want to be on the podcast, please send me an email. Maybe you have your own story. You're like, I want to tell my story. Nobody's ever told my story. Uh, Andrea reached out to Dave Ryan at kdwb.com. That's my work email address, but it works better than pretty much any, any other email address. So send that to that one. It's easiest to remember. That's really what it is. And let's get started. Here's Andrea this week on Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. I got an email from somebody who said, hey, I want to be on your podcast. I've got some personal experience and some expertise in the whole alcohol addiction and struggle and that type of thing. So we have Andrea on the podcast this week. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Had you been listening to it before and said, hey, I got a story to tell or what made you want to be on the podcast? Well, I mean, I heard you talk about it on the air. And then from there, I listened to quite a few episodes. And there were things from that where I'm like, yep, that's exactly what you should do or should say. And other times where I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's the best advice that I would give. Or um, it just helped me to kind of resonate of my personal story. And then also just my personal experience working in the mental health and addiction field of just different um, topics that I think are important to consider. Well, I think this is one of the things that's great about it is, you know, I, I'm, I'm so interested and so inquisitive about everybody's story, and I'm sure it probably comes through on the podcast because I get a million questions. Um, and I think that one thing that I'm noticing is what worked for this person was never even considered by this person and mm-hmm. what a- enabled this person to stop 
absolutely does not work for this person. And I'll give you an example of AA. Um, I have talked to people who AA was their savior. And I just got done doing an interview with somebody uh, uh, who said they go to AA five Zoom meetings a week and twice on weekends. And they've been sober for seven years. At the same time, you might have heard the podcast where I talked to, and I'm trying to remember her name right now, and it doesn't make that much difference. She said she goes to AA and she lies about being sober. And she's got the two-year sober chip, and she goes home and drinks. So there's all kinds of stories. But let's start with this, Andrea. What is your experience with alcohol, personal, family, anywhere you want to start, anything you want to share? Sure. So I am a certified recreation therapist. So kind of similar to occupational therapy, but it's mainly focusing on how recreation and leisure activities can um, better our lives. And so I, um, I minored in psychology as well. And so I've always been very interested in mental health. And through my personal experiences, having a loved one with addiction, that's kind of what led me to working in the field of mental health and addiction. So I um, worked for about six years in a mental health treatment facility and provided a lot of um, education and resources on um, different coping skills and how recreation and leisure plays a huge factor in being successful with managing mental health and addiction. Um, And then just also um, doing some educational groups on, on different topics as well, not necessarily related to leisure, but more so communication, social support, um, all those kinds of things. Okay, I'm going to stop and put a little, like a little bookmark in this here because I do want to talk to you about your experience and, and that type of thing, but you said something so interesting to me that we've never talked about on the podcast before, and that is recreational activities, hobbies, whatever, as a therapeutic replacement. I don't want to put words in your mouth mm-hmm. for drinking. Talk to me more about that. Yeah. So, you know, I got introduced to recreation therapy when I was in high school because my grandma had had a stroke and she used Wii Bowling to use (laughs) practice gaining mobility with her fine and gross motor skills. Wii Wii Bowling. Okay. I don't want to skim over that. Wii Bowling, which was the video game. You got the white controller in your hand and you're moving it. And that's what grandma did. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So that's how I got introduced to it. And, you know, in in the professional field, when it comes to mental health, a big role of mine was educating people, you know, use and, and, and abusing substances is really a full-time job. When you think about how much time and energy you're focused on that use, so it's, it's the amount where you're actually drinking or using a substance is such a short-term thing. But there's more time that's spent thinking about when can I get my next drink? Um, How am I going to cope with a hangover the next day? Um, How am I going to go about getting the money to pay for those next things? So even if we are working a full-time job, use is is typically a full-time job. So a big piece of my education for people that I'm working with is, okay, you can't just cut out that, that use altogether and not put in something fulfilling in replace of that. Or else you're just ultimately going to, all right, well, now I'm bored and I have nothing to do, so I'm going to go hit the bottle again. So finding something that you enjoy that if you're like, ah, I want to have a drink, but I'm going to go do this instead. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think you can take addiction out of it. You can take mental health out of it. Like in general, when you think about having a fulfilling life, you have recreation and leisure activities that you're doing on a regular basis that make you feel good. Because grandma and didn't so- necessarily have an addiction problem at all. Oh, it, no, no, no. It was just, it was was just completely. She just wanted to have health. something to, yeah, physical health. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of my education for people that I'm working with and, and the residents is, you know, addressing all areas of wellness. So, for example, how are you what's a recreation activity that you can do that benefits your physical health? OK, well, maybe that's going on a bike ride. How can you have something that is, you know, benefiting your spiritual health and I'm going to go to church or I'm going to listen to music or what have you for your mental health. Maybe I'm doing some guided meditation and it's kind of my philosophy is you have to have those things that you're doing on a regular basis that make your life fulfilling and enjoyable. And then when you're having urges to use or when you're having an increase in anxiety or mental health symptoms, what coping skills can you have kind of in the moment that will help you when your typical routine and typical leisure and recreation activities are not enough. So it might be things like when I'm really stressed out, I might do some deep breathing. Or if I'm feeling really anxious, maybe I'm going to journal or try, you know, just a variety of, of things that you can do in the moment when your typical routine is not enough. Okay. So if I'm hearing you right, that means when I get my trigger and my trigger when I was drinking more was I got my work done. The show is ready to go tomorrow. I close my computer. I go sit on the couch. I turn on TV. Uh, Let's have a gin and tonic. So Mm -hmm. you're suggesting, if I'm hearing it right, don't go sit on the couch. Maybe, and my ukulele, you can laugh at me if you want to. I know you know that I play it. I love it. That is one of my that is one of my therapies. It is one of my joys. Um, I could play it for hours a day. I wish I had more time. So something like that even though it's not a physical activity, it's a, uh, it's a mental activity. It is mental gymnastics. It is, uh, you could call it spiritual, whatever it is. That's maybe a good example. It's a perfect example. Yeah. It's kind of, you have to fill in that void that you're removing when you stop the alcohol use. What are you going to do to occupy all of that time that was focused on on the use before? Can I ask a dumb question? I don't want to interrupt you, but I get these thoughts in my head and I know that if I don't say it, can I drink while I do this? What if like my what if like somebody's like, I'm going to play like, you know, um, Angry Birds on my phone while I drink? There's my distraction. That doesn't work, though. Um, Not so much unless you're going for more of a harm reduction model, which would be instead of quitting cold turkey, I'm going to reduce um, my use or reduce the harm that comes from my use. So if you're not ready to quit drinking and you're used to drinking and driving, but instead you're going to drink and stay home and, and play angry birds, that's harm reduction. But overall, not, not the best way if you're wanting to stay sober. Well, yeah, I, I, and I kind of almost say that tongue in cheek, but I, mm-hmm. I guess my point is, and I do have one, is that it's got to be something that maybe occupies your mind and takes it away from your desire to drink. Maybe? 100%. Okay. Yep. Okay. And, and for some people, they might be able to do the same things that they did while under the influence. So for example, I have um, a loved one that's in recovery and while they were not in recovery and were using, they would go, um, they were on a bowling league. Mm. And for, for some people, 
um, once they're in the recovery, they might have to say, nope, can't go bowling anymore. That's going to be way too big of a trigger. Yeah. But for, for my loved one, it's something that they're still able to do without being triggered. And it's a, a positive leisure activity for them. Okay. Let's talk about if you're willing. And, and again, I no pressure from me at all. Mm-hmm. What was your story with your experience with alcohol. It wasn't a personal story. You've never struggled um, that I that we've talked about, and 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 I don't think you have. But what was your personal story with alcohol? Can you share that? I can. So I have a parent that is in recovery, um, and they'll be celebrating four years in the summer. And so for that person growing up, it was um, a. I use the term functioning alcoholic tongue-in-cheek because that person um, didn't have any consequences as a result of their use, was still able to get to work on time, all of the things, but it was kind of behind the scenes pretending like nothing was an issue for many, many, many years. Um, And for us, it was something where I, at one point, and again, this was kind of prior to me working in the field, at one point had said, you know, I'm going to give you your rock bottom. If, if you're not going to get help, like I'll, I'll never let you see your future grandkids. Like this is not okay. Um, and, and really shamed that person, which, um, spoiler alert doesn't really work. Not super helpful. Um, and with time, this person was able to acknowledge that they had a problem and was honest with their, um, their providers and their primary care physician And through that, um, got assessed with professionals and referred to professionals and then went to treatment and then went to outpatient treatment and is now still involved in AA and has kind of worked the program um, and has been sober ever since. What, what, I think that there might be some people listening that would say, well, great. I mean, Andrea, you got this person to go to treatment. I'm not going to get my husband in the car and go to treatment. He says he doesn't have a problem. He's like, screw you. I'm not going. How did you get this person in the car to go to treatment? How do I get my cousin Pete to get in the car and go to treatment? Sure. Um, So, I mean, I don't think we can get anyone to do something that they don't want to do or or that they're not ready to do. So So mom must have, so this parent must have been ready. Right. And so when, when I think of, um, like the show intervention, most of the time, if, if that show is successful, it's for two reasons. One being that that person is ready and has kind of already accepted that they have a problem. And two, because their support system is ready to stop enabling that person. Um, I truly think that, um, people, you, you had someone else that had a parent, um, that struggled with addiction on your podcast. And I remember her saying like, she hadn't really spoken up or said anything. And I'm thinking like, why would you not say something? And she had made some sort of comment to the extent of, well, it's just, it's easier. It's easier to not. And I was listening to that thinking, well, it's, it's very similar to a person that picks up the bottle each morning. It's easier to just pick up the bottle than it is to try to quit. It's easier to sweep it under the rug than to not have those really hard conversations um, with someone in recovery. And 
I'm a very outspoken person and I have kind of two mottos in life that I got at a, a leadership conference and kind of always stuck with me. One is you get what you tolerate. And the other one is I don't know what I don't know. Let's so, stop and talk about those for a second. You get what you tolerate. How does that apply? And I think I know the answer in the situation with somebody who's struggling. I think if you continue to tolerate and allow someone in your life affect you as the result of their use, that's enabling, that's tolerating the behavior. Ultimately, we can't make someone stop. We can't, um, you know, force someone to do something that they don't want to do. But I think it's really important to acknowledge that addiction affects more than just the person that is using. That's so true. And I think that that those loved ones or those friends and the people that care about that person are doing themselves a disservice by not being honest and transparent with that person about how they're affected, which again goes back to, I don't know what I don't know. I don't think we should assume that, the, oh, well, that person knows that I don't like that or that person knows that I get mad when they go and drink. I think telling them exactly how you feel in those situations and how their use is affecting you shows respect for them by being honest and shows respect for yourself of, I, I shouldn't have to um, tolerate that. I think that's so true, but I do know people that have said, hey, Cousin Pete, when you drink, you're sloppy you're annoying, you're embarrassing, you insult me, you insult my family, you leave a mess around the house, you make me, whatever it is, and then Cousin Pete's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I God, I'm really sorry. And guess what? Next night, Cousin Pete's at it again. Mm-hmm. I think the big question is, when, when Cousin Pete's at it again, what are you doing as a result? Are you continuing to spend time with them and continuing to enable them to do those things? And trust me, it is so much easier said than done to set those limits or hold people accountable for their actions or to not enable them to do those things. Because again, it's someone that we love. It's someone that we care about. We don't want to see them struggle. But ultimately, I think setting firm, healthy boundaries and letting people know how their effect, how their use is affecting us personally, is really important. Okay, I, I mean, I, I, I'm really glad that you said that. I think that a lot of people have talked with that person and maybe not gotten the results. So now they're just like, when they start drinking, they just go in the bedroom, or when they start drinking, they go downstairs, and they, it's mm-hmm. more maybe an avoidance kind of a situation. Because it's easier it's in the easier, moment. Yeah. It's easier. It's easier to put up with it for one more day, isn't it? Exactly. I can tolerate anything for one day. And if it's just one more day, well, I'll deal with tomorrow night when tomorrow night gets here. So right. what, what eventually with your parents, so they are now sober for two years, two years, three years, three and a half, almost four. Oh, that's so, that's so great. How has that changed your relationship with them? How has it changed their life? Um, it's, it's huge. It, the, the change in, 
in our relationship, I think is, is extremely huge. And that's not to say that we had some terrible relationship because again, um, this person didn't have as many repercussions from their use as maybe other people did. So we still had a decent relationship, but I think a big motivator, um, for them being sober was their grandchild. So I have a son that will be five soon. So I think that was a huge motivator for them and kind of gave them that push and that courage that they needed. Um, And now they are the most annoying grandparent in the world (laughs) and all that shit that I could never get away with when I was a kid. Oh my God, my kids now could do no wrong in their grandparents' eyes but it's such a blessing to see that and see those connections. I love that. I mean, that's that's so great. And wouldn't it be a shame if it's like, yeah, I can't take you over to like, you know, grandma and grandpa's house because we don't talk to her. We don't we don't let her visit you. I mean, God, what a bummer that would be. Instead, you have the overindulgent, overspoiling grandma that is like the dream grandma and mm-hmm. it's it's your son, right? Yeah. And he's going to remember. And my daughter too now. <laughs> okay, great. And they're going to love and remember grandma forever. Um, mm-hmm. What would, and and this is such a, I've asked this on different podcasts and sometimes I get an answer and sometimes I don't. Um, what would you tell someone with all your experience who is, let's talk about somebody in their life that is drinking. Let's Let's make a scenario up here. Let's say that um, a woman named Terry is married to a guy named Brad, and Brad comes home every night, and Brad sits down, has a couple of beers, and uh, and then pretty soon he's passed out drunk on the couch with a beer in his hand. Um, and she's tried to talk to him, and Brad's like, okay, I'll cut back, I'll cut back, I'll cut back. So he stops for two weeks, and then he starts up again. Brad means well, but he's not stopping. What would you tell Terry in this situation? And that's a tough question, and maybe there's not one good answer. I hear the heavy sigh. Yeah, I know I've given you a big challenge. What do you think? Of course, there's no one answer, a perfect answer, because, I mean, in every situation, it's so personalized. Because, again, you know, me kind of putting an ultimatum on my parents, For I, I think while it put a bug in their ear, I don't think it was this magical factor of, okay, well, now they're convinced they're going to go get help. It took some time after that. I think it's important again to um, talk about how it is affecting you and how it's affecting your relationship. And sometimes again, out of self-respect, it might mean setting boundaries and it might mean making the decision where I can't be with that person anymore because I don't have the capacity, the energy to um, watch that person hurt themselves and and hurt and negatively impact our relationship. Um, I think a big, you know, knowledge is power. And so I think figuring out what makes that person tick and what motivates that person, because again, that, that raw, honest conversation might be the turning point and it might not. Maybe that person needs to um, just provide that other person with knowledge about um, addiction and about resources or what have you. And it, it turn it back on that person. You know, what can I do to support you to make the change and better yourself? Because I can't continue to watch you struggle and I can't continue to allow myself to be affected Mm. on a regular basis as a result of your use. I want to change gears just a little bit and get whether it's your expert opinion or just your thoughts. 
do people drink in most cases or all cases or some or what because there's pain in their life i mean i think one of the reasons that i was drinking more years ago was something really awful happened in my life and alcohol i've said before is really effective for about three hours uh, of making you kind of be okay with what's going on you know if like something really awful has happened in your life so in other words do people drink for the most part because something painful is happening in their life or is it because well you know what i had one glass of wine now three months later i'm up to two glasses of wine what do you think about pain and the cause of maybe drinking I think that that's a really good question. Um, one of the groups that I facilitate a lot is from the illness management and recovery series, which is an evidence-based curriculum. And we talk about the stress vulnerability model. And trust me, I'm getting to answer your question. Sure, <laughs> I'm talking take your about time. this a little bit. Yeah. So um, the stress vulnerability model talks about how essentially our biological vulnerability, which is a fancy way of saying our genes, um, that tailored with our our stressors in life kind of have a factor in determining if we're going to have mental illness and or if we're going to have an addiction. So, you know, you kind of touched on it earlier. I don't have an issue with drinking myself. And for me, that's because I'm extremely hyper aware that it's in my genes. I am have the genetic vulnerability to become addicted to substances, to become addicted to anything. And so as a result, I'm very, very mindful about when, if, or how much I drink, if I do at all. Um, that being said, I, having worked primarily in mental health, I think that when it comes to using substances, we either use substances as a form of self-medicating for mental illness, or we start using drugs or alcohol recreationally and through that develop some type of mental health symptom that doesn't okay. mean we meet criteria to get a mental health diagnosis but once you reach that that level of addiction i'm going to guess more often than not people have mental health symptoms as a result whether it's anxiety related to when how am i going to get my next fix or if it's depression because we have shame and guilt for our use there's mental health is 100% connected to addiction and so I think it's really important to figure out, you know, is it chicken or egg? Which part of your life are you struggling with most? Are you drinking because of your mental health symptoms or has your use affected your mental health? Because that's going to kind of dictate the direction that you should go when it comes to looking for treatment. Because if I am self-medicating with alcohol, then I should probably address my mental health first because there's a reason I'm using alcohol. But if I started using alcohol and now have some mental health as a result of my alcohol use, I should probably address my alcohol use first so that can help to later on address the mental health. I'm listening so intently to you because nobody's ever said that before. And I know that there's probably other experts I've had on the show that knew that we just never got to it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's fascinating that you've got to figure out whether you drank because you lost your job and you can't find a job or you spent $150,000 on your degree and you're working at Kohl's or whatever your, 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 uh, I don't know, whatever it is that gets you upset or whether you started drinking with your friends on bowling night 
And now you really are addicted and you spend a lot of mental anxiety wondering if you can afford it or avoiding a DUI or whatever it is. So you got to figure out which one is you possibly before you can figure out how to solve it. Absolutely. I'm going to leave it at that because I want people to remember that because I I, I got a bunch of things from you today, Andrea. One was, what was it again? We get what we tolerate or we deserve what we tolerate? You get what you tolerate. Wow. I love that. And then I think a, a couple, if I'm reviewing here, and I never usually do a review at the end of these, <laughs> is, is to find something that you enjoy. I highly recommend the ukulele, but that's just me. Uh, but whatever it is that you enjoy that you can replace your drinking with, uh, I got a lot out of that. And then the part where you just covered where it's like, figure out why you're drinking so much. Is it because you're covering up for pain or you're trying to forget something awful? Uh, or is it because you got addicted because you started with one glass of wine with dinner and pretty soon it was two? So, Andrea, is there anything else that you want to wrap up with that you said, oh, I want to make sure I talk to Dave about this that we never got to? And if not, that's okay too. So I think the big thing that I want to leave with is the importance of social support. And I think that it can't be said enough and it kind of ties back into the recreation therapy portion of it too, is having people to do things with is so crucial. Um, When I did groups on social support and the importance of that, I showed this video and you can find it on YouTube. If you Google or YouTube as is, slash BuzzFeed. I think they're kind of the same company. If you were to Google BuzzFeed social support or social friends, something like that, there's this video that I would show. And it's about this guy that that goes to AA and then meets up with a using buddy later on. And he, I mean, essentially, I'm not going to spoil all of it, but the the main thing that he says towards the end is, I thought that the only thing I would have in common with people in AA is that we don't drink. But I'm realizing that the only thing I did have in common with the people that I did drink with is that we we drunk, you know, would drink together. So I think the importance of social support and having positive people in your life is so so crucial. Whether that is um, finding a, a AA group, which again, I know you guys have talked a lot about how um, for, for some people, the God thing is a huge turnoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a peer recovery specialist that I worked with for years, his higher power is nature. And for other people, they joke that God is G-O-D, which stands for group of drunks, yeah. AKA <laughs> the other people in AA. Okay. I love it. So, finding someone and it might be that or it might be a bowling league like we talked about before or a dungeons and dragons gathering whatever it means you can't do this alone so finding social support to help you through those tough times is so critical you said so many powerful things andrea i'm so glad i've had you on the show you can't do this alone i really like that because i think a lot of people go you know what i mean I talked to the woman a couple of, she was the one, she's one of my most memorable guests. She was the one who drank vodka in the middle of the night and she lives alone, no kids. She has a dog. And I think that she maybe one of the reasons that she's not able to quit is because she's trying to do it alone. And without that 
partner to support you or your kid or your friend or whatever. And I'm going to guess she has friends and she's, I'm going to guess she's also listening right now, but I think a good message for her is you can't do it alone, but she's also going to AA. So she's getting support and still it's not working out for her. We have learned so much from you, Andrea. Thank you so much. Um, uh, and, and I will tell you this one. If you remember the exact name of that YouTube video or the link or mm-hmm. whatever, text it over to me and I'll put it on my webpage, on my uh, Facebook page, so people can just go check Absolutely. it out. Okay? So go check we'll out, do. take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. We are on Facebook. I hardly ever mention it, but I do get a couple of new likes a week, so I'm pretty happy with that. Um, but go look at that, and if I hear back from Andrea between now and when this podcast goes live, I'll make sure I post that link up there to check that out. Andrea, thank you so much for all your very important and very um, uh, amazing insights. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for doing this podcast. Wasn't she great? I love all of these episodes for so many different reasons. Uh, but there's somewhere it's like, wow, what? Say that again? That was really good. I mean, whether you're struggling with alcohol or not, I think the phrase we get what we tolerate is real. You know what? Even in a relationship or the way your boss treats you or the way you are treated by your customers or your clients, we kind of get what we tolerate. Wow, because if we put up with it, why would anybody change? I've worked with some wonderful people over the years, and I've worked with some shits. I really have, but I'm always a very tolerant take it kind of a person and I've just I've just always been that way I'm probably never going to change so if somebody treats me like crap I will go home and complain to Susan about it that's my wife but I probably won't unless it's like okay I need to say something but I'm one of those people that's that's I'm not hard to upset I upset as much as other people but you don't know it you don't know if you upset me so I get what I tolerate in a lot of ways I encourage you to not tolerate shit that you don't deserve easier said than done right because we all like to go god I hope that doesn't happen again for a while um and a lot of it's in relationships I was talking to somebody last night a friend of mine has a daughter who's about 20 years old and the daughter's guy that she was seeing would dip out on her or not show up or, you know, ghost her or whatever, disappear for a couple of days and then call back and say, hey, baby, what's going on? And I said, you know, he's seeing somebody else in those days that he's disappearing or there's nights when he's supposed to show up and doesn't, you know, he's seeing somebody else. And I said, he's going to keep doing it if she agrees to see him again. Tell her to stop. And she's like, yep, I told her. And she dumped him because she would get what she tolerated. Like that a lot. Hey, thank you, Andrea. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It's uh, take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. We do it every week. And we've been focusing, as you know, on alcohol struggles and issues and normal, regular people uh, who seem normal in every other way, but maybe struggling. And if this podcast has helped you in any way, hey, let me know. I'd love to read your email on the, ra- on, the, on the radio. Sure I would, or on the podcast. Send that to Dave Ryan at kdwb.com. Hey, thanks for listening. If you think this podcast would help a friend, make sure you tell about it. We appreciate it, and we'll see you next week on Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything.